I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Oh, man. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Comics Inspired Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Evans. This is my podcast. This is my baby where we talk about, usually it's in the name, comic books, and we tie it into so many real life things. But I'm just so excited to be back. Like I have, ha- I've been sitting with this particular episode for a while. As I've been playing, I've been out for like a year and a half. The last podcast episode that I released was in the summer of 2018. How wild is that? This is, it's, it's, there's been a lot of life <laughs> that's happened since then. But I love making podcasts, actually. So this is exciting for me to finally be back doing it. And I just, I've had a a plethora of technical difficulties like you just absolutely would not believe but anyways none of that matters we are here now and i'm excited um today's episode is entitled dark prince charming it's based off of it's based off of (laughs) a graphic novel it's actually a two-part series by french writer and illustrator enrico marini I've been practicing that. I feel like every time I say Enrico Marini, I sound congested. I need. I just need to work on rolling my R's. But yeah, he drew, and wrote, and and painted, and colored the whole entire thing. It's his book from start to finish, minus the fact that he's writing about Batman, which is a, a DC character. Um, <clears throat> what fascinates me about this book is the title, right? Dark Prince Charming. We all know Prince Charming. Just the idea, the motif of, of being suave, the guy that everybody wants. And then you have this element of dark Prince Charming, which to me presents this sort of edge. And because we're talking about Batman, you know, he's usually called the Dark Knight. And so instead of going that route, he calls him Dark Prince Charming, which is actually fitting. And I didn't really realize that this was happening. We're going right, (laughs) we're going straight into the podcast. It's fitting because this particular book deals with the duality of his life as Bruce Wayne. Because, you know, Batman's the Dark Knight, but Bruce Wayne is the Dark Prince Charming. He's the one that's, that's got the looks, he's got the wealth, he knows how to woo you, he's sexy, he's fit, he hangs out with, well, he doesn't really hang out with that many black people, but you know what I'm saying, like, he's the guy. But he's also dark, and he's got this edge to him. He's got this underlying tone, and it plays into the charm, right? It plays into the charm. People are, are attracted to this this mystique that he has about himself, this, this mysterious air, like, ooh, what is that? They have no idea that it's darkness. And so this, this whole idea of these, these contrasting elements, the darkness and the Prince Charming, intrigues me. And um, a little backdrop on this particular story, and then we'll get into what I was, what I realized about Batman when I was thinking about it recently. So this story, like I said, it focuses a little bit more on the duality of being Bruce Wayne versus being Batman. And so the basic story is that you know he's Bruce Wayne in his life away with Selena Kyle. They're you know they're doing the bat and the cat thing. Yeah. I don't know what sound bats make when they make love, but they're doing that. And then some chick basically shows up with an eight-year-old girl and says, Bruce Wayne, this is your kid. We had a little fling at a bar, however many, eight years ago. And 
and this is the kid, and I want back pay because you got it, you didn't take care of us, you let us out on the street. And so that's basically the story. And so <laughs> Bruce, in the first encounter with her, Bruce listens to the story, and then he's basically like, get out of my house. You're, you're false. And then Selena comes out, and she's like, what was that about? And he basically tells her he don't want to talk to her right then at that moment because he's no longer in the mood for uh, 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 activities of the flesh, shall we say. And and then the story kind of takes off from there. Joker gets involved, eventually, eventually kidnaps, kidnaps the girl because he's trying to lure he kidnaps the girl because he's trying to lure Bruce Wayne to him, having no idea that Bruce Wayne is Batman. So it, it's a really fascinating, well, well done tell. But it dawned on me that Batman is not Batman. Like we say Batman all the time, but Batman is an identity, right? Batman is is a mask. Batman is another expression of Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is the actual person. And it's interesting to me that Bruce has the hardest time being himself. It's almost like he's not comfortable. He has a plethora of identities. You put the mask on him, put the cape on, he can be Batman. He knows how to do that. He has another alter identity called Matches Malone. This is basically, um, he, he created kind of like this, this character that like roams around the underbelly of the city collecting information. Basically, he gets in with like the criminals. And so Matches Malone is his criminal persona, and it's how he keeps tabs on the criminals in Gotham City. Uh, they did something like this in one of the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr., where he was in disguise as like a homeless person because the homeless people kept track of the city and knew the information. So he had a homeless persona. This is basically the same thing, except instead of a homeless persona, it's a criminal persona. <coughs> but that's fascinating. So he can be Batman. He can be Matches Malone. He can be the playboy, right? He can, he can do the Prince Charming thing. But who he actually is, Bruce Wayne, this, this dark... Prince Charming, he doesn't know how to do that. It's almost like he's uncomfortable with his own self, which is a a relatively, I would say, a relatively simple and basic take on it. It's like, okay, obviously, may, perhaps to some people, it, yes, this is a very obvious um, assertion. But then I would layer that with the fact that he has no idea how people see him. So now this, this makes things take a slight turn. So you have Bruce. He's this dark Prince Charming. You have him as Batman, strong, assertive hero, not afraid of anybody, not even Superman. Matches Malone. He keeps tabs on the criminal underworld. This is a guy who doesn't necessarily have it all together, but who can get stuff done when he has to, when he wants to. His willpower is off the charts. He is phenomenal. So you would think. But he genuinely has no idea how people see him. And so there is an episode of Batman the Animated Series where basically he kept the fact that Barbara Gordon was Batgirl 
from Dick Grayson, who was his then Robin at the time. And Dick, when he found out, he went off. And that whole, that was basically when he quit being Robin. He punched Batman in the face and jumped off the roof. Batman didn't know that was coming. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to catch Batman off guard? He didn't know it was coming. And all through, I mean, stories you can read about about Batman. I mean, in Dark Prince Charming, there's another series called White Knight. These are all, like, recent series. If you want to go back to <sighs> Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight Returns, it's just every Batman story, he is so disconnected from how other people perceive him. We know on the outside, as the readers, people who have been fortunate to write the character, that he's definitely serving as this father figure, right, to um, to these Robins, to these characters, and that he is he gets to redeem his identity as a son to Alfred. So he gets to practice being a son with Alfred, and he, you know, he has his relationships with whomever he has his relationships with. <coughs> I'm here for Batman and Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Bat all day. Susan Eisenberg, I love you. Kevin Conroy, I love you. You guys are wonderful. Dwayne McDuffie, rest in peace. You're a magic maker. So he has a we. So we know who Batman is to all these people, who Bruce is to all of these people. But I find it fascinating that he he doesn't know how people see him, and. I don't think it's because he doesn't care to know. I think he genuinely doesn't know. He doesn't even know to look, right? He is so focused on his mission. It's always, 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 always about the mission for him. But if it's always about the mission, that means it's never about the people. It means that it's only about the people to the extent that it is about the mission. And when it's no longer about the mission, he disconnects from the people. It's one of the reasons why Dick Grayson, who quit being Robin, became Nightwing, is so frustrated with him. It's uh, in, in I want to say, Batman Beyond. It's a future series. Or maybe it was in the epilogue episode of Justice League. And I know I'm doing deep cuts for people who don't follow this sort of thing. Basically, there was an episode where ba in the future. And Batman is old. Bruce is old. There's a new guy who's Batman named Terry McGinnis. And he essentially tells him, this is why everybody left. Oh, no. It was the Return of the Joker movie. Sorry. Brain fart. He tells him, this is why everybody left you. Because it's always about the mission and never about the people. And all these people... The Robins, the Batgirls, uh, the Commissioner Gordons, the, even the Amanda Wallers to a certain extent. All these people loved him, and he had no idea how people saw him. Their frustration with him was because they loved him. It came from a place of love, and but he had no idea. And to me, as I was thinking about it and reflecting on it, I was like, he's dealing with shame. That's what it is. Bruce Wayne is racked, completely burdened down, utterly motivated by shame. It's in his bones, it's in his blood, it's in his emotional heart space, it's, I mean, it's in his feet, it's in his arms, it's in his head, it's everywhere. Shame is what drives him. 
And so for that, we're going to switch over to Brene Brown, who's just a phenomenal person. And she actually studies shame. So this is, you might hear pages rustling. This is from her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, where she kind of gives her own definition of shame. She's a, a fantastic researcher. Please look her up. She has TED Talks. She has books. She, she, uh, she has a Netflix uh, special. It's just wonderful. So this is what Brene Brown says shame is. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. I'll read that again. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Hmm. Hmm. We all know the Bruce origin story, right? He's with his parents. They go to the movies. They come out of the movies. They go down an alley. The robber confronts them, shoots both his parents. They die that night. Bruce is an orphan and grows up with Alfred. What is surprisingly, actually, not too deeply explored in a majority of, of comics and depictions of Batman is the shame that comes from this. You have this kid who loses both of his parents on a night where he is having so much fun. It was his idea to go to the movies. Anybody who has ever had children, been around children, or worked with children, <coughs> you know <laughs> that children blame themselves first. And it takes a lot to unburden a child of something they hold themselves responsible for. It takes a lot. And if you don't do it quick and early, it only gets more difficult over time. And if that is attached to trauma, trauma just like, it, it, it like vacuums it in. It just sucks the air out and it just seals, it seals the guilt and the shame in. And he, it cultivated shame inside of him. He, he felt unlovable and unworthy of being loved. And so the only person, if you look at the Bat Mythos, the only person he consistently allowed himself to receive love from, even though it was begrudgingly, was Alfred. Alfred's the only one. But who was Alfred? Alfred was the third parent. It was Martha and Thomas Wayne, and then there was the butler, Alfred. Nobody in Bruce's life, for the duration of his life, is given access to love him in that way. So what does he do? He creates these identities. He becomes the playboy. He becomes Batman, matches Malone. He does all these things. Do you realize that the only person who does not call him Batman is Alfred? Dick has called him Batman on, on multiple times. Barbara Gordon, everybody at some point, no matter how close, calls him Batman or Bats. It, it doesn't matter. It's some derivation of Batman. 
The only person who does not call him Batman is Alfred. Alfred is the only one he's allowed to love him in that way. And even then, only barely. So we have Bruce Wayne, who has no idea how people see him. He's disconnected. But he's not disconnected because he wants to be disconnected. He's disconnected because he is weighed down by shame. This is what shame can do to us. When we feel that we are, are unworthy of love and belonging, we can exist in the middle of people who love us with their whole hearts and completely not catch it. It can go right over our heads. It can speed right past us. And we can create these identities, right? It's easy, especially as an adult in today's world. It's easy. One of your identities is your career. One of your identities is who you are with this set of friends, that set of friends, these family members, those family members, around your spouse, around your favorite kid. Like, it's so easy to put on all these masks. Uh, And we can fool ourselves because we feel more alive. We're like, well, I'm functional. I'm doing all these things. I'm making progress. And that's the cold part, right? Because as Batman, he actually was doing a tremendous amount of good. But all the good he was doing was not helping him live a life that had love in it. He doesn't know how. He's never known how. The incident, the murder of his parents, sealed the shame into his bones by way of the trauma. And so because of that, he has no idea how people see him, and he's completely driven and weighed down by shame. And then this then leads us to Kanye West. (laughs) Didn't see that coming, did you? Um, From Batman to Brene Brown to Kanye West. We're we're doing it this episode. No, but seriously, this brings us to Kanye West. And, you know, he's... So prior to the Jesus is King, Jesus is Born albums that he was doing, you look. I've been I, I, again, like I said, I've been sitting with this episode for a really long time. Watching Kanye, it's clear that he also is someone who does not have any idea how people see him. He did a TMZ interview, and one of the inter- this was maybe a year or two ago. One of the people <coughs> from TMZ who interviewed him kind of kind of went off and was like and just pulled all Kanye's cards and Kanye was like I didn't mean to hurt you bro like I didn't and I I, f- I really felt like he meant it like he was genuinely surprised that this dude felt betrayed and hurt by Kanye's actions and Kanye was like I that isn't even what I meant to do that no um but he at, through the years he's consistently shown that he doesn't know how people see him. And so when he acts out and it's like, yo, Kanye, we we expected more from you. And even with his latest stint, where I don't want to call it a stint, I will not disrespect anybody's spiritual journey or their progress, but even with his latest development with the Jesus is King and now Jesus is Born, the Christmas album, people aren't necessarily blasting the music. They're just like, they're skeptical. Because he's been a little bit erratic over the years and in his music and in his personal life. And then, like, his wife is always doing a bunch of stuff. And so, like, people just don't know if they can trust it. And, 
you know, there one side of that is, you know, people can be can be fickle, especially in this sensitive internet age. But I feel like the other part of it is when you are someone who is beloved by people. It doesn't even have to be a lot of people, but if you are someone who is beloved by a group of people and you have no idea how they see you, it causes you to act in ways that are counterintuitive to the love that you are receiving, to the love that you are in the midst of. And a, a huge proponent or a huge uh, uh, a source for this, I mean, low-key psychopathic behavior is shame. And, I mean, the whole black community knows that he carried a lot of shame from the death of his mother because technically, you know, it was his fault. He paid for her operation and she died on the table. And that shame got into his bones and it came out in all these different ways. And, no, you know, it, it, it like, like Bruce Wayne, he proceeded through the years. He did a lot of good stuff, you know, from music to establish himself as an independent, you know, wealthy black man. He, I mean, he's been faithful to his wife, and he has kids that he takes care of. Um, he, there hasn't been any, like, his, his scandal has been like, yo, you probably shouldn't wear the MAGA hat and, like, go to Trump's hotel. But there hasn't been any, like, you know, scandal scandals. Not that hanging out with Trump is not scandalous. But you understand what I'm saying. And so very, very similar to Bruce, Kanye, has he's created these identities. And, but when it comes down to being Kanye, just like when it comes down to being Bruce, they have no idea how, how people see them. And this all came home for me because I realized I was Kanye. <laughs> I realized that I was Bruce Wayne for, man, for a couple of decades now, I myself have been living in the center of so much love from whatever friends I had at the time to family members to significant others. Um, I've, I've had so much love and I experienced, I won't say none of it, but definitely maybe only 10% of it because I had no idea how people were seeing me because I had shame in my bones. I considered myself unworthy of love and belonging. And it cost me over the years. I mean, I, I so before the cost, like, I felt shame because I didn't... <laughs> I I did three years of college and only had maybe two semesters left, and I stopped, and I didn't go back and finish. I'm super smart, don't have a degree. I, I, I'm really good with children, haven't been able to work in the school, because not only do I not have a degree, on the other end, I also don't have any early childhood education units yet. Um, I, <laughs> talented poet, it didn't blow up for me necessarily like people I did poetry with are going on tours and just like yo I was writing with you what are you talking about what is happening and just just so much so many things like that and kind of like you know where you live that life where it's like how is everyone progressing but me <laughs> I mean even in entertainment I did so much work with DC Comics like I was on 
a a show that I did a screen test for a show on the DC streaming app that got picked up and they recasted it. And I was like, yo, you filmed this with me in it. You took it to the execs. The execs saw me and the people that I was with. We did the show. We sold this and made it work. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. Let's 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 hire somebody else. Uh, people that I know, and this is, again, I, I'm hoping you can connect to this. People that I know, I am more talented than. <laughs> I'm, I'm more energetic. I'm better on screen. I'm better with the microphone. I'm better with the pen. Like, I'm just more talented. Not a better person than them, and I'm not dissing anybody. But, you know, there are levels of skill, and there are some people who, for sure, I have a higher level of skill than, but they are way far ahead of me as far as, as career, as far as being able to turn that into something lucrative for themselves. And just like, dang. And so I carried so much shame, so much shame. As a child, I carried shame because I would blast myself if I couldn't get something the first time. I would. I, I really, I really would. And so I'm like seven or eight. Eh. No, no, no. I was a little older. So I'd say like 10 or 11. And if I couldn't get something the first time, I'd be like, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. And it's just like, why? Why would you think that? You know, you just go back to it. But you know who I was comparing myself to? I was comparing myself to my parents, who are full adults with uh, uh, multiple degrees. I think both of them maybe had masters then. My dad was like en route to get a PhD. My mom had a degree in engineering and her teaching credentials. So I'm comparing myself to fully established and realized academically successful adults as a child. But it just packed into my bones. Shame, 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 shame. And so this year, it kind of came to a head because my theme for this year was 2019, take it by force. And so that was basically all the things that I wanted from job to academic stuff, even to bringing the podcast back, relationships I wanted to have with both friendly and romantic. It's like, I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm going to go after it. But the part about going after it means, or in, in, so in going after these things that I wanted, in taking it by storm, I ran straight into my shame. My shame was right there waiting to, to pull me down, to drag me down. And, and, it, and it just, it got in the way. It's cost me relationships. It's cost me both friendly relationships and romantic relationships. Um, it's made, it's, it's caused me so much pain. Days where I would just come home from work and just collapse in the bed. Just literally chest, just racked with pain because shame is in my bones, and I would not let it go. I had shame. I had no idea how people saw me. And so all this came to a head. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I ended up in a conversation with one of my best, best friends in this whole wide world, John Frisch. And um, because, like I said, it, it, it cost me um, friendship-wise, but also romantically-wise. And you know, <laughs> when you lose your girl, it's like, ooh, okay, let me let me recalibrate here. And so when we 
spoke, like I told him like the situation and stuff. But then I told him I was like, this is this is how I feel about myself. I feel like everyone thinks I'm dumb. I feel like when I'm when we're in a crowd, if I can't keep up with the conversation, that people think I'm stupid. I feel like in general, people think I'm only like average intelligence and that I'm very dispensable. And when I said that to him, the look of pain that went across his face shook me to my core. I will never forget his face. And in that moment, I knew I had drastically missed something. Whatever page I was on was not even in the book of my life. And he was hurt that I felt that way. And so we had a a tremendous conversation about who I am and how I am and how nobody thinks those things. Everyone thinks I'm humongously talented. People like me. They want to talk to me. He's like, dude, you're super interesting. You're super thoughtful. You're a deep thinker. He just did all this affirming. And it's, it is, <laughs> how do I, how, let's see. When you are in a dark space, right, um, there is the dark space that life puts you in, and then there's the dark space that you're committed to staying in because it's what you know, and fear keeps you from going out into the light because obviously when you move from the dark to the light, it hurts. The light is good for you, but when you come into the light out of the dark, it hurts first, and then your eyes adjust. And <coughs> the things that he was saying, none of it was new. I had heard these things before from romantic partners, from parents, from pastors, from friends, from like from my parents is what I meant, but also from the parents of kids that I mentor, kids that I work with. I've heard this from kids. When I looked back at my life from the lens of the conversation that I had with him, I realized I've been hearing these kinds of affirmations the whole time. Of course, there was there were times where I didn't, I wasn't particularly affirmed, or times where I did something that I didn't get recognition. Obviously, like life happens, we all have that. But the story I had been telling myself all these years was that I wasn't supported, I wasn't loved, and all this other craziness. And when he said that, I looked back and I, it just, it was mind-blowing. I was like, oh, I've missed it. I have had no idea how people have seen me. And I've been so deep in this shame train, just riding it to every stop, that I never took the time to examine what my life looks like if I get off. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so that I, it was a huge, huge breakthrough moment for me. And in that conversation, I chose to put it down. It's just like, I cannot proceed like this any more. So I like I connect to Kanye, I connect to to Bruce. But it's like I can't do this anymore. I cannot have myself be this way. And Brene Brown has something that she calls shame resilience. It's basically how you fight off shame. And it's come it's four principles to it. You name it, you talk about it. You own your story, 
you tell the story. Name it, talk about it, own the story, tell the story. So yeah, it is true that I haven't graduated yet. It is true that all these other people are, you know, further ahead of me in their lives. And, you know, also all the all the situations are true and you can still t- be truthful emotionally. Sometimes it irritates me, right? Sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I'm frustrated that I am where I am and, I, and I'm not as far as I, I should be given how I started my life young. So you name it, uh, you tell the truth about it. Actually, let me, I don't want to butcher it. Let me pull it up again. You name it, you talk about it. I had been really good at naming it. I had been terrible at talking about it. But after that conversation with John, I realized that once you talk about it, it is so easy to do the next part, which is own it, and then tell the story. Because, and Brene Brown talks about this, shame loves silence. Just being kept in a little box. But if you talk about it, 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 shame cannot thrive. Again, you walk out of the dark into the light. And it hurts at first, but it's good. And so this is what Bruce never understood. This is what Kanye may possibly be learning. And this is what I have learned, and this is where it's taking me. I've lived such a freer existence. I can't imagine having shared this story or this experience a year ago, or even six months ago, six months ago, or even arguably three months ago. <laughs> uh, but it's so it's so important, right? And yeah, so it's it's important to have an accurate idea of how people see you. Don't please do not miss out on the love that is all around you. Don't be so fixated on what you're not getting that you're bypassing what you are getting. It's like it's like wanting your friend to give you a sandwich and you're so fixated on the fact like yo just give me that sandwich. I just I just want that sandwich. You're not even paying attention to the fact that you're in a restaurant and it's open buffet. Like I need you to open your eyes to the open buffet of love in your life. And if you're someone who's like I don't have a lot of people that love me, the good news is a little love goes a long way. Let it in, please. It's so important. And as far as shame, get rid of that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Get rid of that. Drop it. It's not worth it. It is if whatever you think it's doing for you, it is not. I'm sure Bruce Wayne feels like shame allows him to be Batman. And it does not. Conviction allows him to be Batman. I'm sure Kanye felt the that shame was necessary for all his stuff that he was doing. Probably even more so because I don't think he was ever aware of it. Um, But yes. And so what I want to end on is saying that Batman is not bad. We talked about this. Bruce Wayne as Batman did a tremendous amount of good. You, in your career, you being a teacher, you being a musician, you being a dancer, you being a chef, you being a sign language interpreter, you being a mom, a dad, a brother, a cousin, a sister, an uncle, a step-parent, 
you being a leader at a university, you being a pastor, a, a spiritual leader, you being those things, it's not bad. You're doing great work being a lawyer. You're doing great work, but leave the shame out of it. Just because shame may have started you on your journey doesn't mean you have to take it with you the whole way. The world will always need a lovable rogue. I want you to know that. So getting rid of the shame, becoming aware of how people see you and love you, doesn't that mean you have to become soft and, 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 and weak? It doesn't mean you have to lose your edge. It doesn't mean you have to just you know become shallow and vacuous. The world will always need a lovable rogue. You'll need someone who's good, who is not afraid of the edge. The world will always need a dark Prince Charming. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. This has been, I'm so glad to be back. Um, before we go, please subscribe, share, you know, all the fanfare. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Josh Evans Go. Before we leave, however, I'm going to play a small clip from the end of, uh, or from an exchange from Days of Future Past. It's, it's super short. It's barely even a minute. But I feel like it recaptures this because the antithesis to shame or like what, what do I put in its place? What, or, or not even what do I put in its place? What place in me is shame occupying? It's hope. I need you to hope again. Recognize how people see you, how they love you, and get rid of the shame. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I'm so glad to be back. Please enjoy this clip, and I will see you guys next time. I open my mind, and it almost overwhelms me. You're afraid. I'm Charles, we need you to hope.